Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. On today's PCOS Diva podcast, I'm welcoming back Dr. Mark Trollis. He is the Director of Fertility Care at the IVF Center in Winter Park, Florida. He's a double board certified doctor in reproductive endocrinology and fertility, as well as an OBGYN. And he's the author of a new book called The Fertility's Doctor's Guide to Overcoming Infertility. And I love the tagline, discovering your reproductive potential and maximizing your odds of having a baby. I met Dr. Trollis at a PCOS Challenge Symposium weekend because he spends a lot of time advocating for women with PCOS on a national level as well as helping them to conceive and have healthy pregnancies. So welcome back on the podcast, Dr. Trollis. Oh, thank you, Amy. And and, uh, congratulations to you for what you do uh, for this podcast and giving the the patients, empowering them with uh, so much information that really helps them along their journey. So kudos to you. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, I absolutely love doing it. And I get to talk to really interesting people like yourself. Um, And we had a great podcast together back, uh, podcast episode 118, where we talked about what you need to know about PCOS fertility and pregnancy. And I know you were working on your book at that point. So I'm really pleased to have you back on where we can kind of dig in deeper into your book, um, which was really excellent. I read it last night. And, you know, in addition to being a uh, jazz singer, which I found out from reading your book, and um, a fantastic reproductive endocrinologist, you're actually a really great writer, too. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But I remember when I was in college, I was so determined. Determined uh, to to learn how to write in prose that that engaged the audience, and I never forget my my professor at, at Columbia University. I was so stiff in my writing, and she says, "You just got to loosen up. You just got to forget the grammar rules." You know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but 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 you're too structured. Just let it come out and come from your heart, and be passionate about it. So she gave me these essays to just talk about things that were visceral for me, really, very, very, very passionate. And 
And from then on, I mean, she changed my ability to write, and I, I absolutely love writing. Well, you did a great job. You really connected with the reader. And uh, if you are listening and you're beginning your fertility journey or you're in the middle of it, it's really a great reference book um, to sort of take you through the whole journey. And I, and I highly recommend it after reading it. Um, and we're going to touch on um, some of the the, the chapters and topics in today's podcast. But first, I, I was hoping that you could share your story, your fertility journey with us, because it's really quite powerful. Um, I have found in, in doing these podcast interviews with various experts that those practitioners that I, I think um, have been through struggle and come out the other side are often the most compassionate and empathetic. And I'm going to quote you from your book. You say, our true character and integrity emerge when we face adversity and overcome our challenge to find fulfillment, not necessarily in the manner we originally intended. And um, like speaking for myself, I never thought that I would honestly you know, ever have this type of a platform helping women with PCOS, you know, years ago. Uh, but it was because of my struggle um, and emerging from it that led me to this work. And, uh, and you have a, a similar, I think, story um, and that I would love for you to share. Sure. We were, in, my wife and I, were, uh, I was in my OBGYN residency and after after we had married for a few years, I was in my third year of residency, and we said, hey, I think, you know, we think it's time. So she goes off the birth control pill, and it doesn't happen month after month. And, you know, the first few months, you sort of say, you know, like everybody, oh, okay, it just hasn't happened. And, you know, when you get to after six months and then eight months, you start saying, hmm, what's going on here? Uh, Twelve months was the alarm, of course. Uh, being less than 35, you, you give it up to a year as long as you having regular menstrual cycles. And I found love with the field of infertility when I was a third-year medical student. During my OBGYN clerkship rotation, I spent one week on infertility, and I said, that was a real aha moment. I said, this is my life now. So fast forward, uh, third year of OBGYN residency, uh, we're having difficulty conceiving. So my wife gets investigated, evaluated, and... Uh, I have to do my thing, and essentially everything was good with her. Uh, they ended up doing a laparoscopy on her. There's a little bit of endometriosis. I had a little bit of a male factor. We started doing IUI cycles, and, you know, time goes by real fast, and it stops at the same time, if you could, if you could even envision that. Your, your life is in limbo. Uh, it's it's really a um, it's surreal, and for me as somebody who loves the field, then to be stricken, and I use that word deliberately because it's a disease, to be stricken with this disease was so ironic and awakening, uh, for and enlightening for me to be able to completely understand. I loved the field, and then to completely understand every nuance of my patient's feelings, uh, uh, their despair, their frustration, their anger, their regret, uh, their intermarital conflict if they're, if they're, or, or interrelationship conflict, 
such a myriad of emotions. Uh, you're really on a roller coaster, and you, that's a cliche, but it really is every month. So we started doing treatment in New Jersey, then my fellowship in Connecticut, more treatment there, then we started doing IVF in Connecticut, then we went to Charlotte, uh, more IVF. And I, I felt, Amy, I was under Niagara Falls. I was mm. literally suffocated. My wife is a very strong person, and she kept persevering. I wanted to stop. I couldn't take her being uncomfortable in any way. I mean, the surgery, I was a wreck. And it was just a diagnostic surgery. And you, you really, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't even, uh, um, you cannot believe that this is your life. This is it. So then we start getting into birthday party invitations that we skip out on family. Uh, 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 birth announcements that are, are crushing. Uh, everything you all who are listening have felt, uh, I've lived. And have grown to even further appreciate and understand your devastation. Uh, I, I was on medication for palpitations uh, when I was in, in uh, North Carolina. It, it was just tremendous stress to have my patients crying all day and my wife crying at night. Oh. Uh, so eventually we moved to Orlando, uh, had done another IVF cycle in the, in the middle of this. We have miscarriage. We have, she's admitted for ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. They take off fluids from her abdomen. Uh, she's, um, uh, she, then we come to Orlando and the last IVF cycle results in an ectopic pregnancy. So she has emergency surgery. I had surgery for the male factor. Uh, it, it was just, how many times can you say, can you believe this, that this is what's happening? Uh, so 10 years, you fast forward 10 years. And you know, Amy, 10 years is a long time. Mm -hmm. And it goes by real fast too. So we resigned and resolved to say, you know, we're going to build our family through adoption. I, as a stubborn Italian from northern New Jersey, was very resistant. I didn't know anybody who was adopted. Uh, it wasn't in our family. Our family is a huge family. And I felt initially inappropriately embarrassed. I, I said, they're going to look at my children as different. Uh, they're going to look at me as different. You know, what, what in the world are we doing? And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, my mom, rest her soul, just... Oh, God, the way both families treat our children is amazing uh, because I, my children are just so full of love as well. We are just so blessed. I mean, when you adopt, you choose your child. Those, we tell our children they were chosen. They, they knew they were adopted from the beginning. I mean, when we went to the playground uh, and, and my children would find their friends and bring them over to us and say, hey, Daddy, Daddy this is my new friend. And then whisper to me, yeah, but he's not adopted. You know, <laughs> which, which just said everything in that small, small little whisper. Uh, so I, I really encourage my patients. Firstly, I say that 10 years is a long time, but I would have waited another 10 years to get these children, okay? But 10 years is too long out of your life. You, you want to be able to resolve this problem as soon as possible. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't always happen the way you originally want it, okay? But 
I, I say to my, my, my patients, don't let this happen to you. Don't do what I did. Because it changes you irrevocably. You will, oh, you're not the same person after 10 years. You know, you have, you, you, you're different. I mean, relationship, uh, you know, gets strained. Um, you question your masculinity. You question your femininity. You question your place. I have never forgotten what it was like to have my face pressed up against the windows of families or looking in the playground from the outside to the fence. I have never forgotten that. And when I'm in, in social circles and having conversations and, I see, and people start talking invariably about children and one person is not, I, I change the subject. I don't know about their situation. I don't know if they're infertile or not, but if they're not contributing, that's, that's the first thing I think about. And so, you know, it, it's, it was an enriching experience. I'm better for it. I've learned to love for the sake of love. I mean, I think adoption is sort of the purest form of love because there's no biology, you know? And the talent that my children have, I could brag to the end about because it's not about me. They got their talent because of them. So, you know, it, it's sort of a funny thing because you could just keep bragging about how gorgeous your children are and, and it has nothing to do with you, you know, so, in a sense. So, um, but that's, that's, that's my journey and, and, and I share a lot of it with my patients and I indirectly and directly, know, they find out that I get it. I get where they are. And for a physician who treats his patients with the disease that he had is a very unique but uh, um, tremendous insight uh, that, that you gain from, from feeling that. I, to this day, I, I, I read people and I feel what they feel and I, and I just think about my wife. I said, this is how she felt when she was talking to her doctor. Mm. Or I see, the, I see the man who can't look at me because his sperm count's abnormal and the head's, head's facing the floor. Uh, you know, that, that devastation. And, and I, so I take it personal. When I hear fertility doctors treating patients as numbers and impersonal, or, or, pay, or, or, or there was a dropping the ball, as it were, and not making up for it, I take that personal because these patients are fragile, uh, devastated, uh, and it's unfair. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and I know you won't want to get into the emotions of, of fertility and dealing with stress and, and so on and so forth, but I really impress upon my patients that you are not defined by your fertility. You're not defined by being able to procreate. That's not a talent. That's not anything that you've done. I mean, it's like bragging that you're right-handed. You know, this is nature's uh, default, right, that we can procreate. In those that have trouble, or anybody, as a matter of fact, you're defined by what type of person you are and how you contribute to this world and make it a better place. And I don't, I don't think it's fair for somebody to base their worth, as it were, on their ability to procreate. And, and that's a hard thing to grasp because I hear so many things, and I'm sure you have, is that I wanted to be a mother since I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And I completely get that. And that breaks your heart. Yet there is a lot of opportunity in life to find fulfillment. And if, God forbid, it doesn't happen the way that you originally wanted, there are things that you can do. So that's 
that's my advice. Yeah, but and and you know your your family is beautiful. I had the, the opportunity to meet them last September, and you know you're a blessed man, and your the empathy that you have for your patients comes across in this book, uh, and. I, I'm not really sure where to begin. You know, we're, you're talking about a little bit about the emotional toll and it's not your fault if you're dealing with infertility. So maybe let's start there. Um, you know, when it is a very stressful uh, journey, I know I, my husband and I uh, suffered with secondary infertility, which you talk about in the book. Um, but how do you Kind of, you become sort of a counselor to your patients in terms of, um, you know, navigating that emotional toll. Maybe you could give our listeners some tips, um, you know, if they're yeah. experiencing that right well, now. Well, I don't, I don't think that the, uh, the, the average reproductive medical infertility specialist is called an REI, right? I don't think that they typically go into the, to the counseling that I do uh, because I'll tell you why. At the outset, I ask all my patients, how are you feeling? And, and invariably, they start crying. And they said, you know, I've been to OBGYNs, I've been to other fertility doctors. No one's ever asked me how am I doing. Uh, you can't separate the emotional investment from the physical investment. Uh, they go hand in hand. This is a, this is a, a fracturing disease. So... Coping strategies and stress reduction could help with fertility, but it certainly helps the quality of your life. Are there things that we could do, firstly, when you said that you didn't do this and it's not fair to blame yourself? Of course. But are there things that you could do to avoid? So before we went on the air, you talked about the SWOT analysis. So I came up with this. You know, in business, anyone with a business degree or, or, or in business knows that when they're making a business plan, they have a SWOT analysis, Right. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, and threats, SWOT. So I came up with this SWAT analysis, SWAT, okay? Because these, these four uh, uh, issues, four points, can impact your fertility and are in some way preventable, okay? In some way. So S is for sexually transmitted infections. If you have relations with unprotected intercourse, okay, and or with someone that you're not confident or know very, very well about the, 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 the potential past, or even if you did, right, there is the potential. So a sexually transmitted infection, particularly gonorrhea and chlamydia, can cause damage to the tubes, okay? Something called pelvic inflammatory disease and swollen tubes called the hydrosalpinx, and that really wreaks havoc. So avoiding sexually transmitted infections is key. To realizing because I call it the silent killer of tubes. So very, very important. The other one, W, weight, weight. Big problem with obesity in this country, unfortunately. And obesity reduces fertility. Now, you know, like everything, people would say, well, I know this woman and she was very overweight and she still had a baby. Well, that's like saying, I know this person who smoked and never got lung cancer. It's not 100%, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And if you're coming to see me, we're going to talk about your weight if there's an issue. Why? Because you're wasting, not wasting, but you're taking your time to come to see me. And it's my job 
to investigate every area that could possibly be contributing to your fertility. Some women who are significantly overweight actually could get pregnant if they lost. <clears throat> so if I can help you get pregnant naturally, you save the money and it's a win-win. Okay, so weight in, increases miscarriage, reduces fertility up to 25 to 50%, can cause pregnancy complications, hypertension, diabetes, even birth defects. So we got to talk about that, okay? Proper diet and exercise. The Mediterranean diet, fantastic diet, number one. And then do your cardio five days a week for 30 minutes. Heart rate up for 30 minutes. You should be sweating after the cardio. And then two days cross-training for weights that would reduce insulin resistance. Third is the A, and the A stands for age. And all women know their biologic clock, okay? Uh, I just uh, recorded a, a, a presentation for a, a virtual health fair in, in the UK, and it was all about how many eggs are in my basket, okay? <laughs> the biologic clock is real, but you know, it's not just for women. Okay, so when you're less than 30, your chance of having a pregnancy per month is about one in five. Okay, so one in five chance on a monthly basis. And after about a year, you're dealing with 90, 95%. When you're over 40, your chance on a monthly basis could be in the five plus percent range. Okay, uh, that's, a, that's a significant drop. Okay, miscarriages increase. And um, you're dealing with um, a much more difficult time trying to conceive, okay? So after about a year, in the early 40s, about 50% of patients will have conceived. So it's not over when you're getting older, but it just takes longer and it's, and it's a, a lower overall success. How do we affect age? Well, years ago, we would try to get pregnant earlier. Today, if you really know you're going to delay fertility, whether you haven't found a partner or you're in school in your career. You can freeze your eggs. But you know, before you take on that egg freezing, you really want to talk to your reproductive endocrinologist to talk about ex expectations, realistic expectations. What cost are we looking at? What are the success rates? What are the caveats? Okay? You know, there's commercial agencies that really, really push egg freezing, but it's important to know uh, the pros and cons in very exhaustive detail before you take that significant investment because it's possible you never get pregnant. It's possible that you never use these eggs. You find a partner and you get pregnant naturally. So you have to think about all those different things. And the last T, the last T, and when I was in North Carolina, this was a big T, tobacco, okay? Cigarette smoking is probably one of the worst things that you could do to sabotage your fertility, okay? So tobacco use accelerates the loss of your eggs. Women go into menopause sooner. Uh, they have higher rates of miscarriage, ectopic pregnancy. If you don't smoke, please don't start. If you are smoking, try to remember this. When you're holding that cigarette and you're trying to get pregnant, ask yourself one question. What would you rather be holding? Mm, that's powerful. Yeah. So every time you reach for that. Let me just add one more thing about the men. For years, we thought that a man could, be able, could procreate without any trouble late in their life, up until late in their life. But we know more recently that men above 40 to 45, somewhere around there, they're going to have declining fertility, 
increasing rates of miscarriage, preterm labor in the partner, increased risk of birth defects, and a four to five fold higher rate of autism and schizophrenia in the offspring. Men are not excused from biologic clock, unfortunately. So that's my SWAT analysis. Can I ask you about when, when it comes to the tea, you know, with the rise of vaping products, would you categorize that in that tea yes. area? Okay. Absolutely. We just published an article earlier this month in Fertility and Sterility Dialogue uh, just about vaping and the hazardous effects on reproduction. So excellent point. And yes, vaping is included. Thank you. The other thing, um, I remember attending uh, an ASRM uh, conference several years ago, and a big study that was um, everybody was talking about was caffeine and fertility. Um, what, what's your thoughts on caffeine uh, for, women, for men and women that are you know, trying to conceive? Yeah, well, you know, for years... Uh, there was a, uh, we were all following the guideline that uh, more than two equivalent cups of caffeine a day, I think there was about 200 milligrams or something like that, uh, can increase the risk of miscarriage. Not fertility, but miscarriage. And more recently, there was actually no evidence to support that whatsoever. Um, I think one of the studies showed that it could actually improve. So, you know, all of you out there who are getting a caffeine headache because you're trying to stop uh, due to fertility, I don't have any medical evidence to support that stopping. So I think, and there's actually health benefits of caffeine as well. Um, I would be in trouble if I had to stop. Uh, so <laughs> I have a t-shirt okay. uh, that uh, all I need is coffee and running. <laughs> Um, okay, well, that's, that's great to clear that up. So you, know, you mentioned about men and their age. Um, you know, I think that we hear, I hear from so many women with PCOS that you know, are, are so concerned about their fertility um, and you know, getting on the, the PCOS diva lifestyle in terms of your know, diet and exercise and all those lifestyle factors that you had mentioned. Um, but what about their partners? You know, where, what uh, do, do, do their, their husbands need to kind of get on board too in terms of lifestyle change? And does that help affect their, their fertility in a positive way? Well, uh, excellent question. I would say that, that if you have somebody, if you have a female factor like PCOS, which is um, the number one uh, ovulation disorder and reproductive age women, and number one ovulation problem of fertility. So PCOS doesn't excuse the possibility of a sperm analysis problem, male factor, or a tubal problem. I think it was estimated that somewhere around 5 to 10% of the time you'll find problems with the fallopian tube and or sperm. So if we see a patient who comes to us for fertility purposes and they have PCOS, we recommend also checking the tubes with the hysterosalpingram or HSG as well as sperm analysis. Now, the sperm analysis is not the best measure of a man's fertility, but it's the best thing that we have. And if I just give you a very, very small tutorial about sperm analysis. So the World Health Organization changed the, the criteria in 2010, the fifth edition. There are still clinics that actually use the third edition, which are higher value cutoffs and make men think that there's a problem when there aren't. So that's unfortunate. Uh, but, you, but if you're not seeing a fifth edition sperm analysis from a reproductive lab, you might want to look into another. The numbers that are somewhat cutoffs, if you will, 
are not really cutoffs. The way they came up with the sperm analysis is say, for example, you get 100 men who've impregnated their, their partner within the year, okay? So they looked at the sperm analyses on these men, and 95% of them had numbers at the cutoffs or above. So that's where most men would be with fertility. But the lower numbers, the 5%, still impregnated, but obviously lesser did that, right? Lower percentage. So having a lower sperm analysis from count, motion, and shape, okay, which is density, motility, and morphology, that doesn't mean, oh my God, I need a sperm donor, okay? But it, it does show that you're going to have a lower fertilization potential. When we see an abnormal sperm analysis, we send them right to our uh, reproductive uh, specialist who's a urologist, uh, fellowship trained in andrology. So the man should always, I mean, it's a partner. It's a, if, if, you are, if you are in a heterosexual relationship, it's always a partner evaluation. And lifestyle issues for the man? Well, if he's smoking, that has been shown to impair fertilization potential as well. Uh, men who are very overweight have lower sperm counts. Uh, men who are hypertensive on a, med a medication called a calcium channel blocker that reduces significantly fertilization potential. Um, and, you know, there's environmental issues that we were talking about before we went on the air. These plastics, you know, the phthalates, these mm -hmm. endocrine disruptors that have an impact on male and female hormonal systems. And they are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Uh, and it's unfortunate. And, and now, because of COVID, people are using more plastics again uh, because of the uh, uh, disposable uh, issues. And so, you know, the, they're unfortunately everywhere. So you just have to be very environmentally conscious uh, as you're going through uh, these issues. And of course, you know, the typical um, men with extremely restricting undergarments are, are, are at potential risk of reducing the, their sperm uh, density and, and motility, as well as morphology, just because the, they're increasing the temperature and the testes. You know, the testes are outside the body, and they're, they're outside, and the temperature control. When it's cold, the scrotum contracts and brings it up into the abdomen, and when it's, uh, it's warmer, the scrotal sac hangs a little bit lower, so it, gets, it doesn't get too hot, whereas a woman's ovaries are constant temperature uh, intra-abdominally, so their body temperature. So you had an interesting call out in your book uh, when you were talking about the environmental factors for men and um, you'd mentioned hot tubs, saunas, and cell phones. So maybe you could just expound on that. Yeah, I mean, the cell phone and the laptops are, have always uh, been, been looked at uh, as potential causes of that, you know, the, the potential radiation issues as well as the heat in the laptop. So I think we have to be guarded. And, and I would, you know, there's, there's, uh, there, there's definitely a potential concern there, okay? Uh, extended sauna uh, and, and being uh, with tight undergarments and, and, and the heat, uh, jacuzzis and saunas, that definitely can have, that get, can cause issues with the sperm. So I tell my male patients, you know, when they ask me, and I say, well, how often are you doing it? Well, an hour a day. Well, that's probably not a good thing, uh, that you're doing that much heat to the testes for an hour a day. And so you really want to limit it. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I think that some short papers would say the, a number that would be the cutoff, to maybe, but I would just really be infrequent for that. And then you talk about alcohol, right? Excessive alcohol mm -hmm. use can, can impair uh, male and female fertility. Uh, male, we don't know to the degree 
for the female, there was a study in the New England Journal of Medicine that suggested any alcohol uh, could impair fertility. But, you know, I, the thing I say to my patients is that, well, you could probably have a drink uh, while you're trying to conceive because probably most children were born through alcohol. So, you know, there's, uh, there's uh, you know, I mean, I'm not, obviously not, not everyone, but, you know, a little bit of glass of wine. I think, I think that should be fine. Uh, but after, after uh, ovulation, I would hold off on that because you want to avoid alcohol exposure, uh, particularly in the early embryogenesis. Any amount of alcohol in pregnancy for the woman is, is there is no amount that is safe to risk the, uh, God forbid, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, which is mental retardation and other effects. Mm. So I've been getting a lot of questions lately on the PCOS uh, Diva Facebook groups, specifically my private Facebook community. There's a lot of confusion as to who you should go see when you've been um, diagnosed with PCOS and you want to start trying to conceive you know do you go to and you know do you stick with your OBGYN do you go see an endocrinologist um you are a reproductive endocrinologist um when when do you start thinking about making an appointment with a reproductive endocrinologist is it like a year after trying to conceive um you know maybe you could give us some some information so the cutoffs are less than 35, you give up to a year. Now, this is as long as there's no predisposing risk factors, okay? Obviously, if you've had chemotherapy, radiation, you've had tubal surgery, you've had uh, male uh, genital surgery, you know, anything that has the potential impact on fertility, you're probably going to want to get investigated sooner, okay? But in general, a woman with regular muscle cycles and no predisposing risk factors, less than 35, we give it up to a year. 35 to 39, six months, and above 39, three months. Now, that's not to say that if you keep on going, it's never going to happen, but that's a reasonable guide to, to, to warranting an evaluation, okay? So uh, uh, with that, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the patient who goes to the specialist sooner than later has been shown to have higher and faster success of fertility. So this is supported in the medical literature. So when should you go see a reproductive endocrinology and fertility specialist? As soon as you hit those marks. Can you go to your OBGYN first? Sure. But in general, uh, based on the OBGYN, in general, though, you, you are going to have a longer time for evaluation and probably lack of medical evidence-based treatment. All right. So clomiphene citrate or letrozole. These are ovulation-inducing medications, okay? The OBGYN doesn't have access to IUI, intrauterine insemination, okay, where you take the sperm and inseminate it into the woman. They don't have access to IUI. So they just give the, the, the clomiphene citrate and the letrozole out. The problem is that in the woman who ovulates, that clomiphene and letrozole is fine, unmonitored, meaning no ultrasounds, um, uh, you know, during the cycle, ultrasounds at the start of the cycle, yes, but during the cycle, unmonitored to that respect, yeah. Uh, if you're not ovulating, you use this medicine to ovulate. But if you are ovulating, there is no evidence that using this medication is of any value unless you do IUI. In other words, without IUI, your success rate with using clomiphene or let's 
is always the same as having your own LH time into course. Over the counter ovulation predicted care. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's you, a good point. Right. Yeah. So so the thing is, is that if if you are reaching those milestones, okay, a year, six months, three months, be your own advocate. You don't have to go through your OBGYN to see a fertility doctor. And who's who's the fertility doctor? A board certified specialist in reproductive endocrinology and fertility. They have passed. Now it doesn't no. Now, they have passed all of the rigorous testing to ensure that they have the highest competence in the field of, of reproductive medicine. So that's what I would advise the patients, to go directly to them, be your own advocate, uh, direct your own care, and be empowered. You know, a great website for you all is reproductivefacts.org reproductivefacts.org. You can get it on the ASRM web. When you log on to ASRM, that's one of the options, asrm.org, but reproductive facts. Another great website is SART, S-A-R-T.org, for patients who are looking into doing in vitro fertilization because they even have a calculator. It's amazing, Amy. They have a calculator that you put your age, you put your weight, you put your pregnancies, your diagnosis, and it gives you your chance of conception based on all the data of the countries uh, pooled, so the average statistics, after one IVF cycle and all the subsequent embryo transfers from that one cycle, or cumulatively with the second cycle, or cumulatively with the third. It's really great. I do it with almost all my patients. Oh, that is fascinating. And, you know, we're not going to get into um, specific fertility treatments for PCOS in this podcast because we covered all of that in um, episode 118. So check that out. But I just wanted to talk a little bit more about your book. Um, And I I highly recommend it because you really, if you're, if you have questions about IVF, if you're wondering, um, you know, what type of testing, uh, genetic testing, different types of um, fertility medications, what, so that you're just more um, aware when you go and talk to the doctor that you're, you kind of can speak the same language. I highly recommend this book. The other thing that I really loved about it, and I had no idea that there are so many different financing options for fertility treatments. You know, we know that they're really expensive and um, insurance doesn't cover them all the time. Um, But you, I think, listed like, I don't know, 18 to 20 different options in your book. And maybe you could just kind of give folks an overview of what is available out there. Yeah, sure. And well, I, I listed websites where, 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 where patients can find ways to finance. Uh, there are those that uh, have very, very low interest. There's those that, uh, um, that, that offer packages, essentially. Uh, um, uh, in other words, uh, outside. We, we, we've gotten involved with ARC Fertility, where they offer packages of IVF with a, a, a percentage refund, if not successful. Um, there's also grants out there, you know, uh, for, for patients. I mean, PCOS Challenge uh, is one of them. Bundle of Joy is, is another one. Uh, but the, the, we, I tried to list the sites that, uh, that are fertility friendly, uh, that, that provide you with low interest loans, and that are um, uh, usually more uh, accepted uh, of, uh, for fertility patients. So 
uh, I hope that's a value and, and uh, mm. uh, it, it's, you know, it, it speaks to, you know, when you talk about the financing, it speaks to the, the, the injustice of, of uh, having to self-pay infertility. It's truly an injustice. And I am working with, uh, uh, with ad- other advocacy groups uh, in Florida to try to get coverage in here, but it should be across the country. Uh, patients should not have to beg, borrow, and steal for infertility treatment. Mm. Um, and it's a disease like other diseases. I mean, the World Health Organization, the American Medical Association, the uh, American Society of Reproductive Medicine classified as a disease. Why are we still in 2020 uh, having patients have to pay 15, 20, 30? For, I mean, it's just outrageous uh, that this has to be. It's the worst part of my day when patients ask me, how much does this cost? I, 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 you know, when, you're in, when you're practicing in a state that doesn't have mandated infertility coverage, you spend a lot of time, more time uh, often, on the, the financial uh, aspect of this. And then, of course, fertility is, in general, even if it was covered, uh, there's always some investment. So fertility is a physical, emotional, and financial investment. But when you're in a non-mandated state, that financial is huge. And I have a lot of problem. I have a lot of problem uh, telling patients that they have to do IVF, okay? Uh, If your doctor tells you that you you need IVF or you have to do IVF, you really should start thinking about a second opinion because there's no need and have to. There are always options, okay? Uh, Of course, suppose, suppose both of your tubes are tied. You need IVF. Well, you can get your tubes reversed, okay? If you have no tubes, yes, IVF is an option, but it's not 100%. Patients need to know as much as when, you, uh, when the treatment is readily available, right? The fact that you have no tubes, IVF is not a guarantee. So what's another option? Well, another option is adoption. Um, I, no matter what the prognosis is, I always talk about options, even if it's not something that the patient originally wanted to talk about or uh, knew about, okay? I think of infertility as, as taking the control away from uh, a, a patient or a couple that they should normally have had. And the last thing I want to do is tell them what to do on anything. And I'll never forget when I was doing my board examinations, I was answering the questions on infertility in my oral exam. And then finally, the, the examiner says, you don't really answer questions, do you? And, and I went white. I, I, I think the blood just rushed out of my head and I was going to pass out. I, I said, you know, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand. He said, well, every answer I give you, you give me options. I mm-hmm. says, yes. I said, because there's no 100% with fertility treatment. I mean, if it's black and white, I mean, the woman has ovarian failure, right? She has no, or, or no ovaries or no uterus or the man um, has uh, no sperm in the ejaculate. You know, th- those, are, you know, those are more definite options that you could offer. But I always give options because you want to empower uh, people who feel that they've had their control taken from them. And so patients will ask me, what would you do? I said, you know, all I can tell you are the statistics of these options and the cost and then you have to pray about what's most comfortable for you and your family. Mm. Well, and, and I think, um, you know, your book is just fantastic because it, 
it really educates people before they go into the doctor's office about what those options are so they can, um, you know, really be able to ask the questions. Um, and well, yeah, I think it's the, I think it's the, it's the patient who's thinking about having a child is the patient who has gone through cycles already and doesn't know if they want to do IVF or they have gone through this and they're, they're getting spent emotionally and mm-hmm. unfortunately financially. So <clears throat> I try to cover everything that's available in reproductive medicine, as well as some future technology with genetics. Um, but I want to, it was done to empower the fertility exactly. warriors as, as I call them. Um, and also uh, it, it's, you know, we talk about the third party reproduction with LGBTQ population um, using egg donation, sperm donation, uh, even gestational carrier, everything that, that uh, can be available to help uh, loving people uh, and couples uh, build a family is addressed in the book. And, and, it's in, and it's in a way that is not scientific. I try to really just have a, a, a conversation. It's like I'm talking to my patients while, the, while, uh, while they're reading it. And, and I just wanted to make it very non-threatening, uh, easy to understand, and empowering. And just to let everybody know that uh, Dr. Mark Charles's book, The Fertility Doctor's Guide to Overcoming Infertility, is available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, and then Dr. Charles is also, um, you know, if you're looking for somebody to, uh, you know, help guide you in your fertility journey and, you know, looking for a reproductive endocrinologist, he sees patients all around the world through telemedicine. Um, so that is great to know. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more of how to uh, get in contact with, with you and, and reach out to you. Well, thanks about that, Amy. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I've been doing tele, telehealth consultations for years, and I'm doing them all day to, uh, uh, on the weekends as well. Uh, their their uh, website would be uh, vibfcenter.com. Uh, and and you can uh, look into booking an appointment there. You don't have to be an established patient. You don't have to have a referral. And I can uh, do second opinions to review your medical records uh, to be able to do that um, as a, a convenience for you. Um, uh, and and pricing is on on the, the uh, site as well. Uh, so we're, I just feel that patients need to hear from. Uh, credible sources about what's going on uh, and very important caveats that we included in the book is to uh, avoid exploitation. And, and, you know, I, I mentioned, I think caveat emptor uh, because unfortunately when you have a, uh, a non-mandated uh, cash paying uh, patients, uh, there is the potential risk of, of, of um, offering services that are not so evidence-based and you have to really be careful uh, about the cost of these. So always second guess your, no, I'm not saying second guess, always question uh, your doctor uh, to be able to understand why you're doing the things that you're doing. Uh, it should always make sense to you. If not, it's not your fault. It's just not being explained properly. You know, if the student's not doing well, uh, you don't blame the student, right? You blame, uh, you have to say, you know, maybe the student requires a different method of teaching. Well, it's our responsibility as physicians is to make, uh, help you understand. And so if you don't, then question. And if it gets to be difficult for you, then you have to consider uh, another opinion.
Mm, that's a great point. Well, I, I hope that everybody learned a little something from uh, Dr. Trollis today. And again, definitely check out his podcast number 118 for more specific information um, as it relates to PCOS and fertility. Thank you so much for coming back on to the PCOS Diva podcast. My pleasure, Amy. Anytime you want me and need me, I'm always here. Great. Well, and thank you everyone for listening. I look forward to being with you again soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.